Uh, no, we are uh, so excited that you are here, so excited that uh, each and every one of you are here this morning, that as, as uh, Dan mentioned a few minutes ago, whether it's your first time or your thousandth time or, or even more than that, we're so thankful that uh, you're here at uh, Palmerado Christian Church this morning. Uh, my name is JP. If we've not met yet, I would love to, to meet you after, this, after the service. Um, if you came up and met me now, it'd be weird. So I don't want to do that, but no. Uh, we'll meet after the service. That would be, that would really enjoy that. Um, we are in the middle of, or sorry, the ending of our series called Friending. And, and this series has kind of taken the past two weeks, and this is our third and final message. Um, and throughout this series, we've kind of looked at this idea that show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The idea that who we surround ourselves with, who we call our closest friends, the ones we turn to, the ones who turn to us, um, who we surround ourselves with, with determines the quality, the direction of our lives. It helps impact our feelings, our relationships with one another, our relationships with our family, and our relationships with God. And so as we are in this series, as we are closing it out, I want to take a couple minutes to review where we've been and then pray for where we're going this morning. And so the first week we looked at this, this idea that like Jesus, we are surrounded by people. Some of us have fans, many want followers, but we all need friends. And we looked at John chapter 6, how there was the crowd who were fans of Jesus, there were disciples who were following him, but there were friends that when there was a hard teaching, an unacceptable teaching that they no longer, many people no longer accepted Jesus, but there were his 12, his friends, that in the midst of all that, they still were there with him. And so we kind of broke down social media, the idea that we can't build our relationships thumbs to thumbs, but we build our relationships face to face, as Craig Groeschel put it that first week. Then the second week, we looked at this idea that it's hard to live a full life when we have foolish friends. It's hard to live a full life when we have foolish friends. And I got to share the story of my friends who lovingly encouraged me to pierce my own ear with ice cubes on either side and just poking a needle through foolishness. Um, but I know foolish is a strong word, and I know that's a word that can sound harsh. But in the wisdom literature, specifically Psalms and Proverbs, that word fool is specifically for someone who rejects God, someone who is opposed or, or uh, separate from God. So if we have people who are our closest people to us, who are far from God, it's going to be hard for us to experience the full life he has for us. Now, does that mean that we cut people off who don't know Jesus? Absolutely not. We reach out to them, we witness to them, we share with them, we do life with them. It just means that they aren't the ones who impact us the most. We surround ourselves with like-minded believers and like-minded friends because when you have the same belief system, you have the same enemy or the same person that is trying to attack you, in this case, the devil or, or people, the culture around us that can be um, antithesis to us in many ways. When you have those things, community develops and friendships flourish. And so again, it's hard to live a full life when you have foolish friends. We're going to close out our series this morning with this idea of why we need true friends. But before we do, I would ask that you would join me in a word of prayer um, as we get into God's word together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each and every person that is in this room, whether this is their very first time, Lord, or whether uh, they're just visiting, as Dan mentioned earlier, or whatever it may be, God, no one that is in this room is here by accident this morning. And I pray that you would reveal yourself uh, in a clear way to each and every one for some reason or another, whether it was through the worship, through singing, the worship through communion, the worship through giving, or worship through diving into your word, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself clearly to each and every person, that they know that they are prayed for, cared for, and loved before they walk into this room. 
And Lord, I pray that as we get into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to every person in this room and to everyone that might be listening online later. Lord, we are grateful for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we are in this series, again, as we're closing, why we need two friends, um, true friends, not two friends, you can have more than two. Jeez. This is a bad start. No. Um, it's one of those where I want to, I think I've shared with some of you and, and maybe I've shared it on stage. I don't remember all of it, but um, one of the things that I've been able to, to really enjoy uh, this past year is being here with all of you. And February 26th, this past week, uh, was the one year of my hiring date. Um, so, oh, <laughs> you, guys don't, you guys don't need to do that. I'm just kidding. All the new people are like, he's weird. Um, but no, it's one of those where it was such a, it's been such an incredible year, and we are looking forward to many more incredible years together here at church. And when I have time to connect with my friends from my previous church, and they ask how it's going, um, I'll say the people are amazing. Uh, I love the leadership. I love the church. I love where we are. I love where we've been. I love where we're going. Like, I'm loving it. What I do say, though, is that one of the areas that is still hard for me, what I'm sharing with my friends there, is that it's hard for me to, like, figure out what it looks like to kind of rebuild friendships, um, to find true friendships, that we have a, a bunch of people that we can be acquainted with, but where, who are my people that I call when things are difficult? And the reason I bring that up is because one is to share with you that when it came to last week, near the end of last week, I had uh, part of the action point or part of the application was to write out who those people are, those five friends in your life. Some of us, maybe we had way too many friends that we're, we realized they're more acquaintances and we need to kind of go be willing to go deeper with some people. Some of us may have felt like we had friends, but you know, we're going to have to make some changes to have people still be people we love and care about, but they're not the ones that influence us as much because maybe they're of a different uh, life stage or belief system rather that kind of takes us away from following God. But then some of us were at a point where it was hard to come up with five true friends. And to be really honest with you, that, that, that's me. I'm trying to figure out who are my true friends because so many of the friends, and I'm not trying to disparage anyone or belittle anyone from my previous church, but so many of the people I've reached out to over the past year, there have been times when I'll say, hey, how are things going? Or, hey, I've been praying for you. Or, hey, you know, hope things are going well. And I don't get any response back. And again, I'm not trying to disparage those people. I'm not trying to tear them down. I'm just trying to share with vulnerability the fact that Sometimes we have lots of friends that we call friends, but it's because of acquaintances with proximity. And then sometimes when trials come, when life isn't easy, is so often when our true friendships are revealed. And I don't think I'm the only one that's experienced this, that with different life stages, different seasons, a move happens, life stages change where, where young couples, they're, they're really close, but then our friends get close and one of them gets married. And then that just changes the dynamics. It's not bad. It's just a season. Then married couples come together and then some of them start having kids. Again, it's not bad. It's just a different season. And so different seasons, different responsibilities, and, and we kind of get pulled in all these different directions. And there are some friends who throughout all of that, we stay super close to. Those are our true friends that hold us accountable, come alongside us, and are with us. But there are other times when we kind of grieve the loss of friendships that we thought were closer than they really are. Or maybe we grieve the fact that God had us with, their, with them as friendships for a season and not forever. And we grieve that loss as well. And I don't think I'm the only one that recognizes this truth, that when life is easy, 
It's fine. When life isn't easy, that's when we find our true friends are. So our main point today is that life isn't easy, but it's easier with true friends. Life isn't easy, that we're going to have our ups and downs, that maybe for some of you, you don't know Jesus yet, and you're here, and you're hoping that following Jesus is going to mean your life is going to be perfect for the rest of your life. And, and I hate to tell you this, but I need to tell you this to speak the truth in love. It doesn't mean that you're going to not experience any pain. What it means is that in the midst of the pain, we have a comforter who's with us. It doesn't mean that our life is going to always be easy, but it means that when we trust in him, his burden is easy and his yoke is light and we can lean into him as Matthew 11 tells us in verses 28 through 30. It doesn't mean that our life's going to be perfect, but it means we get to do life with the perfect one and there's no better one to do life with. So we recognize that life isn't easy, but it's easier with true friends. And there's plenty of passages that, that talk about this idea of life not being easy in difficult circumstances. I'm going to ask that you turn to Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 6 in a couple of moments. Because we're going to look at Daniel 1, and we're going to look at Daniel 3. And we're going to look at four, a group of four friends, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or as we get introduced to them in a moment, we're going to see them uh, be introduced to them through their Jewish names rather than their Babylonian names. But... I'm going to go through this story and a couple stories here because we look at these stories of stories of, of resolute faith. And we look at these stories of just this powerful example that faith can have. And I think another angle with which we can look at this story is how friendships can encourage us in that resolute faith. How friendships that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, that because they were in this together, they were able to be able to be more resolved. They were able to hold each other accountable and encourage one another to walk alongside one another. And when temptations came, sometimes when we are isolated, when temptations come, we can fall to the wayside. Not always, but sometimes. But yet when we have other people carrying our burdens with us, like Galatians 6.2 says we carry each other's burdens, thus we fulfill the law of Christ. That this friendship, these friendships so much shape who we are and where we're going. And so what I want to do is, is read through the passage, share a couple thoughts, and introduce you to a few friends of mine. The first thing we're going to see here as we get ready for Daniel 1, chapter six, or sorry, Daniel 1 verse 6 is that true friends keep us focused on following God's word. True friends keep us focused on following God's word. As you're writing that down, I'm going to give some context to Daniel chapter 1 that the, the best of the best of the Israelites were taken into Babylonian exile. And so out of the best of the best, they started to give them the Babylonian choice foods and the wine and all these things. But some of these foods were sacrificed to idols. Some of this food was not prepared the way that was described in Leviticus and the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. It wasn't described and prepared in a way that was honoring to God. And so there were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they resolved themselves not to partake of that. Not to partake of that food that is surrounding them and that the culture would be encouraging them to not follow God's word and following it resolutely, but to follow the way of the world around them. And so we'll start in verse 6 and it says this, Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. 
Why should he see you looking worse than the others, the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So that God took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. All of that is to paint the picture and to show us that Daniel resolved to not defile himself, but his friends came alongside him in the midst of that resolution. That we're going to have friends, that some of our truest friends are the ones that will encourage you in your resolution to follow God. That when the world or when other things or other people or other temptations or delicacies are in front of us, that it would be easy for us to give in. It would be easy for us to not give up or to not follow through with our resolutions. It would be easy for us to, to do a little slide and say, well, at least we're not as bad as that person or that person. And sometimes those little slides are slow fades that lead us into distance from God. But our friends help us to stay focused on following him. Our true friendships help us to remember to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Our true friends remind us that like Peter, when you're walking on water, you can, when you are facing your, your Lord Face to face, eye to eye, we can walk on water. When we start to get distracted by the wind and the waves is when we start to sink. That we need to be focused on following God, and we have friends who can walk us alongside that. As I mentioned, I want to introduce you to, to some, a, a couple of friends of mine. So the first picture here uh, is my wife, Steph. Um, and she's uh, my best friend. She's amazing. Um, this is when we went to uh, Canada for Aero Leadership back in September. And I show her for this example because when, I, when we first started dating, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus yet. I'd gone to a Catholic church, but I didn't know Jesus. And so she was someone who had grown up in, in a Christian church, grew up knowing the Lord. Um, and so for a while in our relationship, I was more the bad company that was corrupting her good character from 1 Corinthians 15.33. Um, you guys laughed at that. I don't know what to do with that. Um, uh, so I was more the bad company corrupting the good character. But... What happened was, is after dating for a while, she was at Azusa Pacific, I was down here at UC San Diego, and our freshman year, uh, I went to visit, and we were sitting in uh, Adams Hall, and I say that because there's a few people here, uh, we were sitting in Adams, and we were talking through um, our relationship, and she was going, kind of getting out of the house, going to APU, she was being convicted that she shouldn't be dating someone who doesn't know Jesus, she was rightly being convicted to recognize how vital it is to have someone who knows Jesus, loves Jesus, to be the one who knows and loves you best. And so we had this conversation. I remember sitting in one of the couches at Adams Hall and saying, like, honey, we're great together. Are you going to, again, I don't know the Lord yet. Are you going to let this God thing be the one thing that gets in our way? And to her credit, a few months later, the answer was yes. She broke up with me. We were broken up for 11 months, and it's one of those where she had the resolve to focus on God, but she showed me the resolve that it took to be focused on following God. And, and I am so grateful, I have been, still am, and will be grateful that she was strong enough in her faith to make a hard call 
to be resolved to focus on following God and not following the way of the world or, or a boyfriend who's a bad company corrupting good character. And it showed me how important it is for me to fix my eyes on Jesus, to not let the wind and the waves distract, but to be able to fix my eyes on him and focus on following him despite what the world or despite what others might try to tempt me with or to provide delicacies that might pull me away from following Jesus. Because a lot of us, it's easy to have someone who helps us to focus on following on God when we're following God. It's hard for us when we start to slip. Who are the people in your life and who are you that person for them in their lives who ask the hard questions? Who aren't satisfied with superficial answers? Hey, how you doing? Fine. Great. Let's be friends. Like it's one of those words, how are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? How are you really doing? That's when the masks fall down, people. That's when relationships and friendships happen. And that's when God is honored by the way that people come together, pleasing and together in unity, as Psalm 133 talks about. And so we see that Proverbs 27.5 gives us a picture of this verse, or this idea. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. That Steph was able to give me a wound through losing her in a relationship and being broken up with, but it was one that could be trusted because she was pursuing God, and it set me on the course to pursue God as well. Who are the people in your life that can love you enough to wound you with the truth in love so you could focus on following God? Number two, not only do true friends keep us focused on following God's word, but as we're seeing in Daniel chapter 3, verse 13, go ahead and turn to there if you will. Um, true friends help us to stand firm in our faith. To stand firm in our faith. The context of this is that King Nebuchadnezzar uh, has ended up, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, they, they did well. They elevated to the ranks. And in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he ends up putting up a, a statue for everyone to bow down to when they hear the music. And so we see the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They don't bow down when this comes. And so what, where we catch up with the story is that some of the, the officials, the satraps, the people that were officials there, basically tell Nebuchadnezzar that three of his highest ranking officials are not following the decree that he had made that everyone were to bow down or else be thrown into the fire. So verse 13, when we get this idea of true friends help us to stand firm in our faith, verse 13 says this, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? False friends might encourage us to go the way of bowing down to things around us. Friends who are more acquaintances based on proximity might say, no, you might want to just sacrifice your integrity and, and bow down because look what might happen to you if you don't. But what do true friends do? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. 
If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That these friends that help us to stand firm in our faith, when, when people try to cause us to question truth, when people try to cause us to bow down to what the world is telling us is important, bow down to things that are opposed, diametrically opposed to pursuing God. True friends help us to stand firm. True friends will remind us of truth when people around us want us to compromise. They'll speak the truth in love. I want to introduce you to some of my friends, Brett and Jeremiah. So these friends, uh, this picture was taken in 2003. Why is there laughing? I don't get it. Um, uh, this is when I had hair and I had full-length ties. Um, but my friend Brett is in the dark shirt. Jeremiah is in the white shirt. Um, when I gave my life to the Lord, shortly after Steph broke up with me, um, I gave my life to the Lord, and she fairly thought that I was just do, saying that in order to get back in a relationship with her. Um, but through that time, um, we ended up, I ended up getting my call to ministry. I ended up uh, being called to leave UC San Diego and go to APU. And I've shared some of that story before. But knowing in the meantime, I needed to get plugged into community. I needed to find friends. And so Brett and Jeremiah were two friends that I had made uh, on my on-campus Bible study. And they were two guys that loved um, apologetics. They loved things like reasons to believe and stand to reason and, and things like that. So it was one of those where it really helped me to, to see the truth and how to answer questions or to process things um, when the world might ask questions or attack or come after. And they were just, they're both very intelligent. They both love those things. They dive into uh, that stuff. And it helped me to learn that you can be resolute. You can stand firm in your faith, even when the world wants us to compromise. And so what's great about this is uh, Brett and Jer Jeremiah, they both um, are like native Powegians. Yeah, that's the descriptive of Powegians. Um, so they're, they're native Powegians. Um, Brett on the, in the dark shirt, uh, he and his family uh, came to our Christmas Eve service this past year uh, to come and say hi and, and to be able to experience that. And so they came and visited. And Jeremiah in the lighter shirt, when I came in, he was still living in Poway. And he was like, hey, is there anything I could do to help out with your church? Um, and so I was like, yeah. And he's like, you know, do you have anything on Thursday nights? I was like, we have Optic Youth on Thursday nights. And so uh, Jeremiah has come. Um, he goes to another church on Sunday. His wife is on staff at another church. But uh, those of you who go to Optic Youth, this is Jeremiah, my friend, when he had a little bit more hair. And it's one of those where it's so cool that he's still serving and he's still uh, plugged in and involved to kind of support us as a church. Again, I share that because they helped me remember truth when I was in a large public university, and it had been so easy to start doing these little slips from following truth, but all those small slips end up leading us further and further away from God. That if you were to look, it's an analogy that a friend of mine had shared, a pastor had friend had shared before, that if you were to look at a cliff, and there was a sign on the cliff that said, uh, do not step over here, it's a slippery cliff, and there's a little small fence right here that you look at and you see the sign, but then you say, but I really want to just see what it looks like. I bet it's beautiful. It's going to be fun. And so you take that step over that little small little fence and you start to get a little bit closer to the edge. Then you get a little bit closer to the edge. You want an even better view. You get a little bit closer to the edge and then all of a sudden you slip and you fall over the edge. What was the step 
that got you the problem in the first place. The first step, the, the step in which you saw the wisdom of not to do that, and you disregarded that first step, step over the edge, and then you fall. Sometimes we need someone to help us stop us from making that first step so that we could keep in step with pursuing God and living according to the Spirit. Number three, true friends stand with us in the fire. True friends stand with us in the fire. Let's pick up the story, verse uh, 19. The Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up or when, or sorry, who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. I want you just to take a moment to think about those times when you felt like you've been in the fire. You've been in those times where things seem like they're falling apart around you. You're experiencing difficulty and trial and tribulation, and you feel surrounded and lost and alone. Unless, can you take yourself back to that moment and can you remember, did you have friends that were able to stand with you in the fire? Not friends who tried to extinguish the fire around you, not friends that tried to just give you a verse to say, but you will not be burned, and not friends that would just try to take away and to cure you, but friends that were willing to just be with you, to be present, not to be prescriptive and give you something to help fix where you are that I want to show you, introduce you to my friend Nick. This picture here, first thing you're thinking of here when you see the picture is, oh, look, there's Steph again. I'm like, yeah, let's keep looking at her. Um, and the next thing you see is, wow, those are really great uh, Christmas sweaters. And then the third thing is my friend photobombing, before photobombing was cool, people, uh, <laughs> photobombing my friend Nick. And so this is so sad because Nick has been my best friend outside of Steph, my best friend since 2008. And this is the best picture we have of ourselves. <laughs> Guys, I, don't, I never take photos, I guess, with friends. Um, but Nick and I, uh, our senior pastor um, at my previous church in 2008 kind of gave a moral authority talk for our staff. In other words, how do you live with integrity? How do you live in a way that is pleasing to God and in which our church, because of our moral authority, won't have any hiccups, won't have any um, moral failures? One of the things he talked about is the idea of the need for accountability, the need for someone to do life with. And so I didn't know Nick very well at the time, but he was another uh, recently married. We we're in a small group, but we didn't know each other well. Um, and I just asked him and we talked like, would you, can we be accountability partners? We ended up meeting at a coffee shop every week uh, for years. And even now that we've moved away, there's a little bit of a time there where we didn't connect as much for the past two or three months. Um, I've been on the phone with him every second Tuesday while I'm trying to get my steps in, just walking around the parking lot here. And so it's one of those where he and I have been able to be in the fire together. That when he is struggling, I was able to be there for him. And when I was struggling, he was able to be there for me. That we're able just to sit together, to pray together, to be able to process together. And it wasn't like he was just trying to fix me, nor was I just trying to fix him. Because when you're in the midst of the trials, 
people are well-meaning and they want to help. But so often they say, well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you looked into this? And I didn't realize that dynamic until I had a baby and people gave their unwarranted and unasked for advice about everything. And, like, and it's, it's fine, but it's one of those where that's not, they try to fix things. You know what we needed more than someone to try to fix us when we had a new baby? Someone who would hold the baby so we could sleep. <laughs> someone who would just be with us and be silent. Um, and to be able just to, to create that space. But this idea that Henry Nouwen says it this way. When we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives mean the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness. That is a friend who cares. Think about the story of Job and, and how his friends were silent for a while, but then they started trying to fix things and ascertain what Job must have done wrong in order to be punished by God. And they end up trying to fix things to their detriment and to Job's. That true friends can stand with us in the fire, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just having seen the people who brought them in dying immediately, they go in bound into the fire, but they're in the fire together. And that can be all the difference. Verses 24 through 25 show us this, that true friends don't just stand with us in the fire. True friends show us how the fire can lead to freedom. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. That there was a miraculous intervention there. That, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they were firm in their faith, because they were able to experience the fire together, but they were able to be rescued and to be able to be in the fire and have one who looks like the Son of God to be in there with him, or with them, I should say. But here's something that my previous senior pastor, Jeff Vines, mentioned that I thought was a, it was a, a piece of the scripture that I just thought was really interesting. That in verse 23, we see that these three men firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. And then in verse 25, it says, there I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. That we're going to see in a few moments that when they walk out of the fire, not a hair on their head was singed, that they didn't even smell like fire. In fact, the only thing that was left behind in the fire were the bindings and the shackles that were holding them back. That... The rope that was tying them down, they were unbound and unharmed. That fire moments that we are in these difficulty, people can give us perspective to see how out of the fire comes freedom in the same way that out of a cocoon comes a butterfly. That metamorphosis, that Greek word for transformation that we see in Romans 12, it's this idea that out of fire can come freedom. Out of darkness can come light. Out of death can come life. Because out of Good Friday came Easter Sunday. 
And so we see this idea that true friends can show us how out of that fire freedom can come, how we can be unbound in the midst of those difficulties. Doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean that those fires aren't going to hurt us at times, but it means that they can give us the perspective to see that God can work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He can work for our good when we're surrounded by bad. If we lean into him and we have true friends to come alongside us. I'm going to show you a picture of my friend Lyle. Lyle was a mentor at my Aero Leadership um, group. And so he and I met a couple times throughout it. The first time, the first uh, residential was in October of 2017. Um, and so... Um, we were talking through different things, and he had this moment of, we were talking one-on-one, -on -one, and he just kind of shared, like, hey, how are you doing with, like, forgiveness, like, you forgiving people? And I was just in a moment where I was like, yeah, there's, there's some people I haven't forgiven. So he says, hey, I want you to go ahead and, and, and make a list of people. Maybe the next time we meet in a day or so, we can pray through that time of forgiveness. I was like, okay. So I started writing and things like that, and I wrote, you know, different people and different things and why and stuff. So I probably had like eight to 10 or something like that. And, and I ended up um, coming back to him the next time we met. He's like, did you do, the, did you do that? I said, yes, I did. And so we end up, um, he's like, are you ready to forgive them? Which is a lot more loaded of a question than I was expecting because I said, yes, we started praying. And I would say, dear God, I pray to forgive so-and-so for such and such. I take him off my hook, and I put him on yours. And when I was saying that, I was going through these eight to ten people, and all of a sudden, I just started weeping. I, I couldn't get the words out. I would start, and I would say, God, please help me to forgive. And that you start to choke back tears. You start to have your eyes well up. You start to, to, to not be able to say these things because the sad thing is that forgiveness, lack of forgiveness rather, and bitterness towards other people is like drinking the poison and waiting for the other person to die. And yet we have become so accustomed to and comfortable with our bitterness and comfortable and accustomed to our poison that we've swallowed and waited for the other people to die that it feels like we're losing an old friend when truly what we're losing is that which is binding us and holding us back. That what we're losing in that fire, in that moment of difficulty, are the shackles that are stopping us from experiencing the life that God has for us. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That is for Christ that you have been set free. And so... True friends can show us, can give us that perspective like Lyle did to walk me through that, to pray me through that, and to see a 32-year-old man at the time just blubbering and just crying, and he just sat with me in it, and he kept me going. And I was able to experience the freedom of letting go of that bitterness and letting it be something that stayed in Canada so that when I came back, I was able to be free from those things. Lastly, true friends come together to point others to the Father. Verses 26 through 29. The Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. 
Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. True friendship, the kind of friendship we've been talking about, the kind of friendship we see with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, true friendship plus a firm faith equals a powerful testimony to who God is. That when people experience difficult moments and experience the fire, but then family members who maybe they don't believe in Jesus, but they see that their sibling, their daughter, their husband, whoever may be, is going through a fire, and the local church, brothers and sisters who follow Jesus, surround them and come alongside them and give them meals and walk alongside them in the pain. True friendships plus firm faith, those family members, so many of them will be like, I want to know more about this God that is compelling the community to surround you in this time. And King Nebuchadnezzar ends up sharing and recognizing how God is the most high God. True friendships plus firm faith equals a powerful testimony to who God is. The final story is I want to introduce you to a couple of friends from Arrow Leadership. I have uh, just a, a class photo. I think it's a group photo that um, the picture, the sunlight was behind them, but know that those are real people. Um, and so you can't see their faces as well. Oh, zooming in. Um, so actually keep it there if you could. So uh, I had a moment where during my last Arrow Residential this past September, I was going and one of the assignments that we had was to give a three-minute evangelistic message. And so as one of the few people who, um, there's a, there are a few people who are full-time pastors there. Many worked in different Christian organizations, some in leadership roles, uh, some in administrative roles, uh, all across the gamut there. Uh, there were a few people that, um, that were pastors, but, but not as many. And I remember going into it to my shame. I'm feeling, like, okay, I'm going to, I'll be fine with this. Like three minutes. This is going to be great. Uh, as you all know by now, it takes me three minutes to say hello, and so it's one of those where it's like I ended up going a little long, and it wasn't quite as smooth and as compact as what I wanted or impactful, but I remember going there, and I was talking, and then I was behind this podium, um, and I was talking, and then everyone kind of gave a couple of feedback, but then there was this guy who was just, you know, he was our, our teacher, I guess, he's not a professor, but our teacher and, and the module leader, and he was like, I was listening to him. And he did not say one positive thing about my sermon. Guys, if you were in this room, I was standing out here behind a, a little music stand. By the time he was done talking, I had found a way to sneak back to the back of the room until I was up against a wall because I couldn't escape anymore from where I was. And the problem that would happen is that I had become prideful. I thought, this is what I do. I'm going to be really good at this. In fact, they asked me to speak at the closing ceremonies. I'm going to do awesome. And pride comes before fall. Um, but I remember I had a, a couple days after that, I just had this, or probably about a day and a half after that, this, throughout the whole time, I was just so discouraged. I was so down because I had trusted in the gift that God had given me rather than the giver. I had believed that what I do is more important than who I am, that I had decided that I wanted to get the adulation and the applause from people because I've been a people pleaser more than I wanted to please God. And I wanted to do 
well because I find my identity in what I can do and what other people think of me. So guess what God had to do to mold me and shape me to become more like him? Take away the adulation and take away the ability or the thought that what I do is what defines me. What I do, what you do does not define us. What's been done for us on the cross of Jesus, that is what defines us. That if you and I were never able to do anything else in this world, doesn't mean that God loves you any less. You know why? Because God loves you because Jesus died on the cross for you and he gave up his life to have eternal relationship with you. And so it's not about what we do. It's about what's been done. And if, if that's not something that takes hold deep into your heart, then it's going to be a rough road whenever the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows, the highs and lows come into our lives. But true friends come together. And so the one over there in the bow tie on, on my side here, on the right, uh, his name is Ian, not Ian. His name is Ian. And we're, I was, again, I was playing basketball and, and I was just trying to kind of process through everything. And he comes up and he's like, hey, can I talk to you? And everyone knew that something was going on. And he was, you know, just asking about like, what's going on? I kind of shared and he's like, do you, do you think it was a pride thing? I'm like, no, <laughs> I think you're a pride thing. No, that doesn't even make sense. But, I, but it was this moment of like, I was like, I kind of do now. And he just kind of asked me those questions. And then I have a friend, you can zoom back out, we won't see their face, but I had a friend, Nicole, who she was uh, preaches in the uh, Salvation Army. And so she was like, he didn't say one nice thing about me either. And then I had someone else who was just saying like, hey, listen, don't, don't let that discourage you or hey, you're doing great. But how, isn't it true that we could have 10 people say, tell positive things, but it's either the one negative thing someone says, or it's the one thing that we wanted from someone to say that didn't happen that was said is what resonates the most. We hold on to those things more than we hold on to the encouragement. But it's this idea that they surrounded me, and these friends of mine came along to help me be pointed to the Father. But yet, I'm going to show the last photo is my friend Greg. And Greg, um, he's... Very tall. I think he's slouching for me in this picture. But he, uh, he was a worship leader up in uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And he was someone that he and I had connected really well over the previous uh, residentials. And so he was wearing bright red Nikes that day. And so I say that because I kind of went off on this beach on this island. I tried to like find a way to be kind of hidden from people, to kind of not have to talk to anyone, and just to be in my emotions and process and pray. And then I just see these like bright red Nikes that are just walking towards me like, oh, it's going to be Greg. And I didn't want to open up. I didn't want to share. I didn't want to talk to him. I wanted to keep the walls up and the filters there. But being able to share with him, he's like, yeah, that, that stunk. That stunk that you're experiencing this. But that's not what defines you. And I did get to speak at that final closing ceremony, which is why we're all dressed up there. And in that ceremony, what I got to share was the idea that our job is to, as leaders, but as Christians, is to encourage people, to literally find people and to put courage into them, to be able to breathe life to them just as God breathed life into Adam, just as the Lord in Ezekiel 37 was able to breathe life into the valley of dry bones, that we were able to breathe life to encourage and that Greg had breathed life into me and he had encouraged me because like Jesus, he found someone who was feeling down about himself at the, on the beach in the same way that Peter had felt down about himself after betraying Jesus and that Jesus reinstated him and he breathed life into him and he gave him a new purpose. And Greg came alongside me and he breathed life into me and he reinstated God's purpose in me and reminded me that it wasn't about what I did. It's about what Jesus has done. 
And that he was able to point me, along with I, and along with Rachel, along with Nicole, along with all these other people, they were able to point me to the Father again. To remind me that my identity is not in what I do, but it's in the fact that I am God's beloved son, whom he is well pleased with. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but it's not about what I do or what you do. It's about what he's done for us. So as we close, we looked at these different passages or different stories, and we looked at true friendships. And I know for some of you, again, it's this idea of who are those people for you, and for some of you, it's who can you be that kind of true friend to. That again, for some of us, as I shared, I was in those moments where if I were to write down those five people, I couldn't find five people that I felt like were my truest, close friends right now, that it kind of ebbed and flowed and life circumstances had changed. And so it was one of those where there was a loneliness and a pain, but we're not meant to stay in that loneliness because it is not good for us to be alone, that we're able to be created to do life with one another. Christianity is a team sport, not a solo sport, and we're able to acknowledge and recognize and receive the gift of friendship just as much as we need to be bold enough to give it. And so as we close, who is it that you can be a friend to? What do you need to do to step out? And like we said the first week, and maybe you're just bold and, and you say, God has puts, the Holy Spirit puts a name on your, on your list of who you can be friends to. Again, I wasn't close, that close to Nick when we first started becoming accountability partners. But through the past 11 years, that has developed into one of my most cherished friendships. That maybe we just need to be bold and step out. We need to be vulnerable to open up. And we just need to recognize that God does not want for us to be alone. He wants us to have true friends that will show us through these difficult times. And he wants us to have true friends because he is the truest friend of all. And he wants us to experience that friendship with one another in a way that points other people to the Father. Father God, we thank you for who you are. And we pray that, Lord, as we remember that life isn't always easy. And I'm sure every person in this room or listening online can resonate just with that one statement alone. That life isn't always easy. But, Lord, we also remember that it is easier with true friends. Lord, I pray that you would be stirring within hearts to be able to find those kind of friendships. Lord, I pray that for people here who have not, um, for people here who feel lonely or struggling, Lord, may you just meet them where they are and encourage them and bring people into their lives. May they have the eyes to see that when they're in their um, struggling in their emotions like I was, that sometimes you just bring the right person at the right time to say the right thing to be pointed back to you, Lord. So I pray that we would receive that. I pray that you help us to be vulnerable, to help us to be bold. And I pray that, Lord, as we do that with one another, that we would be, continue to be a church that is a community of people who are close but are welcoming people in rather than a clique who are people who are close but are keeping people out. So, Lord, may we continue to be an open and loving and welcoming community so that people far from God, far from you, would come to know you in the safe context of community, of life together, and of friendships. Lord, we love you. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.